Warning. In the name of God, stop a moment. Cease your work. Look around you. Look around you. Look around you. Cease your work and look around you. (laughs) In the name of God, stop a moment. Cease your work and look around you. A quote from Leo Tolstoy. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by Article 24 of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Everyone has the right to rest and leisure, including reasonable limitations of working hours and periodic holidays with pay. It's in the Declaration of Human Rights. Yeah, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as ratified by the United Nations. I really like that it says reasonable. What I think is reasonable, that would be really great. I just, I love that the Declaration of Human Rights mentions holidays with pay. Good. Good shit. I wouldn't have expected that to be in there until you told me, but it makes a lot of sense that it is. Part of that irreducible minimum, folks. Article 24 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It's like, dope. It's good. Relevant to this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. I am your co-host, Sean. I'm Aaron. And today on the show, we've got a very special guest, Tim, a.k.a. Soul. Welcome to the show. What's up, what's up, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I don't talk that way, but for today, I do. Woo! I think it'd be great. I think you should commit. Yeah, like you're sort of like a (laughs) pizza-eating like party guy who's like... (laughs) Hates work. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm like Guy Ferrari or whatever. Diners, drives in, dive in. <laughs> so we got Tim on the show to talk about a really important subject. You know, the three of us want to do an intervention in a sense, right? We want to intervene in this culture that we have of work, where work is put on this pedestal of like, you got to be on your grind, that you got to like self-annihilate for godhead and everything you do you got to like grind yourself down to the bone and i think that idea is bullshit i think it's great i think it's worked out fine <laughs> no you know I'll, I'll just put it like i to me what summarizes this whole thing not to be crass but when my father died he was like one of these dudes who was like you know manly man working in fishing boats and welding could lift ten thousand pounds and You know, in order to work that hard, he was on like heroin and all these drugs, like all the inputs he had to put into his body to like keep it going all those years. Eventually, he like lost his relationship with his kids, lost his relationship with his wife and ended up just dying of a meth overdose in a trailer somewhere in Southern Florida on a boatyard at age 59. And... This whole idea of delaying gratification, of delaying the things that we need, like if we're serious about quote-unquote revolutionary politics and philosophy and thinking, we can't wait for like this utopia as like this religious, messianic, far-off thing. We must live our lives fully in the moment as opposed to like delaying it all. And, you know, again, I made the joke about my father but i think that like summarizes it as like this idea of just killing yourself to work and then like 
you think some like glorious retirement is waiting for you in the end, but no, this is America. You just fucking die randomly and that's it. <laughs> so live a little. You have to wait until you're 65 when you can retire to actually just like rest <laughs> and have a breath. That isn't like, you know, oh, I got a vacation. So I have a week off where I'm like going to frantically try and relax for a week and then like get back to work and be even more stressed out because I didn't do things for a week. So I got to catch up and like you're catching up before you leave and you're catching up after you get back. And yeah. then you're just like, okay, one week going to rest. <sighs> okay back to work <laughs> oh yeah and like vacation is so much work like i just did a vacation it was awesome right i went to some like different cities i saw some friends i hadn't seen in years i'm like okay well now i gotta go to the empire state building like i'm in new york like i gotta go over here like oh i've got this tight schedule like my schedule's tighter than my fucking work day because i need to go fucking see the statue of goddamn liberty because i'm only here for two days <laughs> and then i come back and i'm like burned out from vacation returning to work catching up on all this work that was just stacking up while i was gone it's like a completely dysfunctional state of affairs there <laughs> well don't worry when you reach 65 you'll be yeah. able to well i mean, rest. sorry go ahead oh no that's yeah. check your canadian privilege we don't all get to retire at age 65 <laughs> i'll never get to retire there's nothing waiting for me that's the thing too is like some people have a genetic predisposition to dying at a younger age than each other so it's like there's this whole class of the population that because of like just pure unfortunate negative circumstance like even if you live in a country that has a guaranteed retirement age or whatever like there's still certain people that have they're just lucky their family has this predisposition towards prolonged health so there's an actual chance they're going to get 10 years of retirement when their body's the least fit it's ever been to go <laughs> like you're not exactly going to be surfing at fucking 68 most of the time but there's huge groups of people that just like completely denied the opportunity because like, oh, yeah, I'm probably going to die from a heart attack at 49, especially because of the amount of work I'm doing. Oh, my God. The thing that I really think about, especially in America and Canada, is like in America, there's no guaranteed vacation time from work at all. Like you guys don't have legally mandated vacation time. Canada is one of the second lowest. We only have two weeks of legally mandated vacation time, whereas in a lot of countries around the world it's like between five to eight weeks and like when Medieval i hear peasants that has got more when i hear eight weeks vacation that is so it seems so absurd to me that's like that's one sixth of the year like it's it's amazing it's so good i mean a lot of those things they've figured out really well in europe you know i think a man gets three months of maternity leave in europe and you know workers have much more rights in a place like Germany or France or something than they do in North America. And then it's just like when you're talking about, oh, I come back from my vacation and all the work just sat there. But then it's like you come home, bust your ass for those two days, and then you're all caught up on work. And it's like, all right, well, then why the fuck do I work five days a week? Why don't I just work two days a week? And get paid the same amount of money. That's a damn good idea. <laughs> yeah, they just like <laughs> need, they want your time. Well, I think part of it is that we have, with like the Protestant work ethic, we have this really ingrained desire to see people suffer in order to get good things. So if you're actually able to do all your week's work in like a day and a half or two days, and I think a lot of people are in that position, people still want to see you there five days a week to feel like it's all fair and like that you're suffering as much as the rest of us. Yeah. It's like the same mentality of like right wingers who went into full on bankruptcy because they couldn't pay their medical bills. And they think it's only fair if everybody else has to go 
into bankruptcy to survive cancer, you know, as opposed to like, I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Hey, is Calvin Protestant? Is that the same shit? I think it's more specific. I think it's like under the umbrella of Protestant. Yeah, Calvin's like the devil in the details of the work ethic, the stripping away of the commons, the creation of private property. The idea that like a human being's worth has a direct correlation to how much they sweat and toil or suffering. Yeah, there's this weird like Christian idea sometimes of like it's wrong to try to bring out heaven on earth. Like you're supposed to suffer here and then go to heaven later. But like if you try to strive towards a more heavenly situation here on earth, you're like committing a sin against God because you're it's, actually it's here to satanic. toil and suffer. Yeah. It, it, it's satanic to try and do that here. It's, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> fanatic, like Thanos, the god of death. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by Working So Hard You Fucking Die. Well, I'm so glad we were able to get together for this dinner. You know, I didn't think I was going to make it. I've just been so busy recently. You're busy. I'm busy. People are like, how are you doing? And instead of giving them an emotional state, I say busy. And I take a lot of pride in that. I'm up at 5 a.m., do a workout, then first job, second job, home. You know, it's tough. Kind of feel like I'm disintegrating inside, but so rewarding. I just love it. You know, I've got 40 hours, plus I'm doing 8 to 10 hours overtime every week. I go home at the end of the day, plop my ass down on the couch, and it's like, oh, is it time to rest? No. It's time for side gig. It's time to basically just burn myself out and just like shove my face into the grindstone. You know what I mean? It's just so weird to sit down and eat a meal. I try not to eat a lot of solid food because then you have to shit more. I feel like I'm just wasting so much time. I make smoothies in my Uber and I'm like recording my podcasts with my guests as I'm driving because I'm like a delivery person usually during the day delivering stuff for Amazon. But a lot of times I can kind of stack a little extra pay by picking up some Ubers along the way as I'm delivering these Amazon packages. Yeah, it's really hard work, but it's really fulfilling because it's like I'm always doing something and I, I just don't really get sad very often because I'm usually so pissed off at all these lazy people I see that uh, I just don't really have to think about how tired I could be if I stopped. And that's why I never stop working because as soon as I stop, that's when I get tired. Gotta grind. Yeah, so relatable. I love eating on the run. Sometimes literally while I'm running, you know, you gotta get your run in. And the thing that I think I'm running from sometimes is that, you know, I just noticed the last five years of my life seemed to pass in the blink of an eye because, you know, none of the time was really for me or anything I care about. It was all dedicated to these instrumental tasks that I have no connection to and don't care about really. So I keep running because I don't want to stop and think, what did I just do with half a decade of my life? I don't want the inevitable deep emptiness to overcome me, you know? So oh. that, that's why I like to keep busy. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember the last time that I was alone with my thoughts. Thankfully, if I'm not working at job A, I'm on my side gig. And that's keeping me busy. It's keeping my thoughts full and on the task at hand. I'm never thinking about what meaning is. Another great thing for this is I've been actually cutting sleep hours. I've been prioritizing more work instead of sleeping. I don't know if you've tried this. Oh, yeah, it's a huge waste of time, eight hours a night. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is a well-rested brain is a self-reflective brain. And I've pushed oh, that out. Man, that sounds great. Look at what Napoleon did on six hours of sleep. Imagine what you could do on three. It sounds like y'all are working really hard or whatever, but it's like, have you tried meditation? 
like I've just invented a new form of meditation. It's called a micromed. You know, they say, oh, you find a mantra of the day. You find a mantra of the day. Just one word. Just say it. Just say it as you're leaving the house and you're grabbing that coffee, pissing in the fucking bottle, getting ready to head down to the Amazon factory, fire up those drones. Ugh. Just saying it gets my fucking dick hard. Yeah, my car is littered with piss bottles. Don't get me started. I can't remember the last time that my dick got hard because sleep deprivation, stress, and overwork, it's really, really bad for your body's physiology. So, yeah, dick hard, not a problem for me. Oh, yeah, no, me neither. But that's because of all the amphetamines that I'm taking. If you take enough, it really just doesn't work down there. Sometimes before I'm about to fall asleep, but usually no. Oh man, it feels good to know my body's falling apart because of the commitment to the lifestyle and identity that I have. Yeah, but you only live once. Oh yeah, thank God. You only live once, so thank live God, life to the once. fullest. Carpe diem. I think that translates to seize the money. Get that fucking money. Working so hard, your body stops working, you fall apart, and you fucking die. Today's sponsor of Seriously Wrong. Yeah, so anyway, I was just, like, brushing up and, like, going through this book by this guy, James Livingston, who wrote this book, No More Work. Do you know this book? No. It's cool. And, like, one of his main arguments that he makes is that, like, this era of human history is an era where producers, owners, the ruling class has been able to, like, increase their output without necessarily having to increase labor or capital into it. So, like... You know, they're making all this extra money and workers are way more productive than they've ever been, getting way more work done than was humanly possible 50 years ago. Since 2002, it's gone up 30%. Workers are 30% more productive. And yet, as jobs are going away and as jobs are needed, there's just no correlation. Like, it's not like you get paid more for being more productive. So it's like at work, everybody just works really slow and sits around and like stares at memes all day. I don't, not that I've worked for 20 years, but this is what I gather from talking to people who do it. You don't really do anything. I had so many jobs when I was like first starting out working after high school and stuff where it would just drive me absolutely insane to know that I could work faster, but that if I did work faster, there would be no benefit whatsoever. Working fast and working hard and working effectively is rewarded with more work. It's such a bizarre system. <laughs> yeah, it's punished. You're punished <laughs> for doing more things. This is such a huge incentive to, like you're saying, like, slow down, go pee for one minute, go on your phone for 14 minutes, pretend you were shitting. Like, <laughs> oh, I shit four or five times a day. It's like, yeah, I do. Do you want to talk to my doctor about it? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I can bring you a stool sample if you don't believe me, boss. <laughs> In a water balloon. Yeah, I, I don't know. I had a job. One of my first jobs was like at a consulting firm in the Bay. And I was like running a record label at the time. And so like one time my boss comes in and is like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm talking to a distributor. I'm on my lunch break. Like, leave me alone. She's like, you have work to do. I'm like, first of all, I'm on my lunch break. Second of all, I've done everything. And then she just fucking hung the phone up while I was like literally talking to someone who was like buying all these records or something. And I was like really fucked up. And I was like, what the fuck? And she's like, you know, you're not, you just sit around all day. You don't fucking do anything. $500 phone bill last month. Like, what the fuck? And I was like look, there's nothing here for me to do. Like I do everything you ask me to do in like five minutes. She's like, well, maybe you're working too much then. I'm like, yeah, maybe I am. She's like, well, why don't we cut your hours? I'm like, that sounds great. I'll just come in in the morning and leave at noon. Is that cool? She's like, fine. And so I was like working part time and it was just great. And that's kind of when I realized like you need more money when you're working all the time. Like 
I don't leave my house. If you don't leave your house very often, you actually don't need that much money because you don't have to buy coffee every day. You don't have to like pay for the train. You don't have to go out for lunch. You don't have to buy dinner because you were home. Like you need way less money when you're not working all the time. And like people can say, oh, make your own coffee every day and bring in a cup of coffee and don't go out to eat. Make a lunch. Like fuck that shit. Like <laughs> the only joy you have during that shitty ass day is like, Go out and feel fucking okay for fucking 20 minutes, you know, and eat like something that someone else made. And it's like, oh, this is the best fucking shitty sandwich I've ever had. Like, <laughs> this is totally worth the, an hour of my pay. It's totally my experience with like, I went through periods of like really, really working way too hard, like doing multiple jobs or doing 10 hour days or whatever. And like, you're technically earning extra money, but you're just seeing like, diminishing returns because of exactly what you're talking about like extra travel going to restaurants just to have like a relief from like having to do stuff and it's so true like if you're really grinding on something you're like really really working a lot it's so much harder to like sit down and be like oh i'm gonna make rice and beans for the week tonight on sunday it's like just let me have my fucking sunday i want to watch netflix i'm gonna pay 12 dollars to the fucking man two times a day for the next six days this is my one day off and this is actually i think why we need to sort of reclaim so like we've got a long and beautiful history in anarchism and leftism of fighting for shorter and shorter work days ensuring that the expected norm is that people can leave after eight hours you know there was a five-year period in the 1930s in the u.s where that work week decreased by 18 hours i think we should do that again over the next five years decrease the work week to 22 when was that uh, it's in the 1930s oh oh when it when it dropped down to 40 yeah okay but if we did this, even something as small as say like, okay, we're going to switch to a 25-hour work week, five-hour days instead of eight-hour days, or eight-hour days but redistributed so it's like four days instead of five or whatever. There's all these secondary benefits. Like, it's actually an effective way to like fight climate change if people are going into the office less days per week because they're going to be commuting less. They're going to be spending more time just chilling at home. They're going to be going to restaurants less that use these like just absolutely insane amount of disposable packaging that you throw away immediately like i was thinking about this the other day i went to like subway or something ate the fucking sandwich and then i had all this garbage in my hands and i'm like is there this much garbage every time i've ever eaten at subway and i was like yeah there is this much going to restaurants is just creating all this garbage and it's amplified by like working too much because then you're like oh i've been a good boy i deserve my sub uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so there's all these things that connect with it like by decreasing the workday, you can make progress on climate change. You can make progress on people's well-being. You can help people to actually save money. Uh, there's like all these secondary benefits beyond the part of like, you know, Marx called the after your workday was the realm of freedom. And I agree with Marx, like increasing the realm of freedom. Awesome. I almost want to like invert, like we talk about work weeks, but we never talk about play weeks. Like what's the length of your play week? We need to increase the length of the play week. <laughs> play is like so critical and like I have a kid. And so I'm like doing all this like early, not a lot of early childhood developmental research because my wife, that's like her thing. She studied it. So I just like pick up all the second stuff and like play is so important to like the development of children. You know, you just plop them down in the woods. They know what to do. That's how they discover themselves. And like as an artist, that's my job. I'm an artist and a musician. The most important part of my job is play. And as I'm like now, I'm like a parent, like balancing, like having way less time. It's like really cut into my play time. 
And so it takes a lot of mental effort for me to like just get lost and just in a wash of ambient noise for, you know, three days straight. Like there's been whole weeks where I didn't produce anything where I was just like stoned half the time, really sober the other half of the time and just lost in like making noise. And like just that as an example of like, you know, when you're same with being a writer or a podcaster or any kind of creative thing whether you're someone who builds shit you know a laborer woods worker or whatever the fuck you need time to play in order to actually get better at to be able to produce better you need play time and with all the shit that's happening in our world like the commodification of every second of the day you know you get out of work and then like when you're not on the clock at your job you're on the clock with zuck or Jack, Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram. Then you're on Netflix generating more data for them. And then maybe you go on Minecraft and, you know, mine ore digitally for four hours or Skyrim or whatever game you play that resembles like shitty fucking work. Like, just, you want to go do herbalism? Like, go out in the fucking woods. Like, you don't have to do it in a video game. End rant. <laughs> um, actually, that, it reminds me of something really interesting you said when we were talking before recording about the Facebook and Twitter aspect. You know, we talk about these platforms as if it's leisure time, but it's actually like a really stressful thing to be maintaining sort of like a public persona and brand, not even necessarily like as a public figure or something, but like even as a person that you're just maintaining your brand for your little community of like, here's my funny update for today. Here's a news article I read and stuff. And like people are waking up in the morning and immediately checking their apps, checking their notifications, immediately making posts, and they're generating revenue for billionaires. You know, the uh, Invisible Committee calls that, let's force everyone to become an entrepreneur of the self. And we're all just like constantly selling ourselves online. And like, it's good you said that about stress because it is really stressful. Like, you know, they've done all these studies that show that like looking at that stuff doesn't make anyone any happier. Like it might make you feel like partially connected to every single person you've ever known in your life from a high school on for whatever fucking reason you still want to be like partially connected to people from high school (laughs) but where's the room but like the thing is i was looking at that because i was reading articles about like play and i was just thinking about play in relationship to social media and thinking like other than trolling there's really no room for play on social media you know like trolling is like the only form of play that exists on there it's time for a red fire scalding hot take absolute peak tier take as hot as possible five star take for me or are you you're gonna are you putting me on the spot no i'll do oh, I'll you do got it. one okay good i got it i can't wait to hear it donald trump famously criticized by liberals for spending too much time at mar-a-lago playing golf going on too many luxurious vacations mm, my yeah. hot take is that's actually good because it makes him well-rested and more productive when he's doing a very stressful job. But do we want him well-rested and productive? Yeah, absolutely. So much better than the alternative of still being in power but going insane. Oh, yeah, no, right. That's a good point. What's on the table is <laughs> Trump how he is now, a Trump who's devolved even further via the vectors of extreme stress into even more of an insane person. Mm-hmm. Generally, I think we should transition the role of the president into a primarily vacationing role, more of a symbolic figure of state while everyone participates in a commune of communes, direct democracy in ways that we can barely describe yet using technology that's just being developed now, but already largely exists. 
So like in the future, basically, we'll just elect someone that we think needs a lot of vacation and be like, you're the president for four years. (laughs) Yeah, the guy who vacations the most (laughs) has the most power, obviously, because he's the most relaxed. Well-rested, has the best ideas. (laughs) Idle hands are christ's playthings yeah the The angel's creative canvas idle hands are the playthings of a loving god Ah, that's so true every time i see my idle hands from now i'm going to imagine little halos around them or that they're like glowing with holy light yeah i mean that's what idle hands are definitely yeah you just can't see it you can't see the glowing hands you can see the glowing hands yeah but i've been doing a lot of religious study oh yeah cracking open that uh third and higher eyes i don't know how many eyes you've reached but Mm, there's the material and there's the spiritual it's only two eyes i know of oh tell me it's the third eye sounds crazy there's eyes even beyond the third there's dimensions beyond spiritual there's dimensions beyond spiritual yeah okay the fuck does that mean do you believe in ghosts too yeah but ghosts are in the spiritual dimension there's no ghosts in the spiritual dimension it's just spiritual sort of sounds like spirit which is like a synonym for ghosts but like no, no, you can meet the ghosts no spiritual is more of like a vector dimension of patterns and you know loving radiation and stuff you know it's like mm. it's like fractals and stuff it's not well yeah it's not ghosts there's ghosts serialistic in the it's fractals. a loving fractal it's not ghosts i disagree but i think we should leave it there for now so yeah i think you know the anti-work anarchist perspective is definitely send the president on vacation and leave him there don't bring your emails with you buddy We got everything taken care of. These four years are about you. What a beautiful future. We now go to the Church of the Unhealthy Work-Life Balance, where a young true believer is going for his weekly confession. Blessed are those who toil under the God's sun. What have you to say today, young one? What ails your heart? My heart is heavy today, Father. I have sinned. Let the Lord's workers lift you. Oh, oh, Father, I, I really do need that. I... At work all week this week, I took five-minute breaks every half an hour. I stood up from my desk at the computer and walked around. I read something saying it's bad for you to sit for more than half an hour straight without getting up and moving a bit, but I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyway. It's eating me up inside. Dear God, but what else have you done? I mean, it couldn't possibly be worse than that. <sighs> the other day I spent 15 minutes at the water cooler instead of just rushing there and rushing back as quick as I could. I went to the washroom to pee instead of peeing in a bottle under my desk. <sighs> the worst thing that happened this week, honestly, and I know you won't tell anyone, but I'm embarrassed even to tell you, is I leaned back in my chair, closed my eyes, and accidentally took a nap. I know it's no excuse that it was an accident, but I was asleep for 10 minutes at work in my desk. Oh, God, saying it out loud is... Dear God, haven't you heard the saying, the devil's playthings are idle hands? Have you ever heard that? Uh, Yes, Father, I I have. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Pots and pans. Look, if you wish to be forgiven for all that you have done here and all your trespasses at work, There's a simple cure for it. Next time you fall asleep at your job or you find yourself straying, taking too much time, I want you to unplug your mouse pad, whip it over your back and self-flagellate yourself like so many have done throughout time. Then and only then can you be brought into closeness with God and capital. Oh, yes, Father. Thank you, Father. That's a huge relief knowing there's some penance I can do. I do have one other issue I want to, to bring to you father which is that uh, my 
partner. They won't come to church with me. They've been calling in sick at work, even when they're not sick or when they're mildly sick or just to take a mental health day. And, you know, I've been, you know, it's hard, but I've been trying to make it work because we made a commitment to each other. But then recently they just asked me if we could take a two week vacation. They want me to take two full weeks off work and do nothing. And I don't know what to do if I should divorce them or yell at them, belittle them. I just, I don't know how to make them comply with poor work-life balance, which as we all know is holy. It sounds very bad. First of all, I think what you need to talk to this person about your quote unquote partner, but I don't see how you could be in a partnership with someone who doesn't fulfill their obligations. So it's not a partnership that you're involved in. And, you know, what I would tell your quote-unquote partner is that hell is full of lazy people and sinners. If you want to go to hell, be with all the sinners and the lazy people, then you're going to be waiting a long time down there because the service sucks. Because up here in heaven, you'll have everything you want when you want it. You know, like Amazon. Right, because all the hard workers are up there. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And all the lazy people are in hell. So, you know what? Let your partner go on their vacation all by themselves and let them think about what hard work really means. (sighs) Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of maybe trying to steal the keys to their vehicle so they couldn't drive to the airport, but like they're going to have to learn to discipline themselves. I can't always do it. So yeah. I mean, the other option, son, of course, would be to see if you could work on the vacation and model positive behavior, you know, bring your phone, couple laptops. And while your partner, quote unquote partner, while this person who is, sucking up all the resources of our Lord and our society and our beloved economy, you know, you could be working, you know, working twice yeah, as hard to you inspire. Know? No margaritas. It's just coffee. Inspire all the other lazy people on the beach and piss in a bottle on the beach and show them like, you can do this too. You know, you can feel the fucking warm golden embrace of God's loving economic rays. Oh, wow. That is such a beautiful vision, Father. Thank you. I'm tearing up a little bit, but to be on the beach with all those lazy people, but then to just work so hard and they'll see me working and they'll think, oh, I want to be like him. Why are we even at the beach? Let's all go to the office. And oh, yeah. You know what? This is why I come to church. You're a holy man and I'm just a lowly supplicant. And oh, thank you so, so much. I really got to go though. I'm on my lunch break and I got to get back to work and I need to squeeze in some time with that, like hitting myself with the mouse pad thing. So got to run, but thank you so much for this father. It's amazing. And don't forget to do your hail toils before returning to work. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'll do it now. God bless. (sighs) Oh toil by thy pure and immaculate conception, make my body pure with sweat and my soul holy from deprivation and suffering. Oh, my mother preserve me this day from rest and relaxation. Hail the grind, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst workaholics, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, prophet. Holy toil, mother of production, pray for us workers, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. God bless you. And that sitting toiler, led temporarily astray by the temptation of rest and relaxation, returned to work, reinvigorated with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit within us that commands that we slowly grind ourselves down to a paste and destroy our bodies for production. That toiler became the ultimate toiler of all time, 
working a 21-hour day for two years straight before dying at the age of 25. That toiler went to heaven, will you? One of my favorite essays on this stuff, like anti-work stuff and pro-play stuff, is Bob Black's Abolition of Work essay. And at one point in there, he's talking about how play is something like it's spontaneous and you're doing it because you get something out of the action itself. It's not instrumental. You're not using it for some other end. And like with social media, generally the instrumental purpose of it well like the hidden instrumental purpose as we've been talking about is to make money for these companies but the more immediate instrumental purpose for you is that dopamine hit of getting those sweet red dots those notifications like it's not happiness you just get this hit of like excitement or validation but it's definitely not play in the sense of like unstructured something that's being done for no other reason than the action itself feels good like composing your perfect call out post or like the most salty tweet you can imagine (laughs) it's like it can be fun but it's not like something it's not something you'd be doing if there wasn't this other thing you were working for like people don't sit and compose salty tweets to not send out to the world and get those dopamine hits like (laughs) my private journal of salty tweets like all under 144 characters just like (laughs) private angry journaling oh man yeah but and he also distinguishes play from leisure time too which we've been talking about and like just like in work culture so much of your free time is taken up with preparing to go to work or like going to and from work or recovering from work or like like everything else in your life ends up surrounding these 40 hours you have to spend at your job everything else has to work in support of that because that's the non-negotiable thing. Like you have to be there during those hours. You have to be like relatively awake and able to do your job. It's like, even if you're going to a movie, you're doing something with your friends because it's fun. That's just like this necessary pressure release valve to like make sure you're good enough on Monday to get back to work and like not kill yourself (laughs) because how like monotonous and horrifying and humiliating it can be to dedicate your life to doing these jobs that like most of them lack anything that's like personally meaningful to the person like I did something that mattered to me and meant something in my life like most jobs don't have that and that's just soul crushing yeah, it's really funny because I'm in this situation now where my I'm personalizing it just because of A, because I'm the guest, and B, because it's just like how I'm thinking about these things because it's personal. It's like my wife is working at a university now, you know, so I'm like around these like professors who are, you know, I guess they're liberal, maybe, but like, you know, I'll meet these people from this like fancy college and they'll be like, the question people ask, like, what do you do? And it's like, hmm, if I had to think about how I spent the last 10 years, probably over 50% of that time was spent organizing and doing activism stuff, like stuff I didn't get paid for. You know, it's like what I did all day. You know, I like make enough money with music that I could just kind of fuck off the rest of the week or whatever and just do organizing. But it's like, is that work? Is that play? It feels like it's like feels like it's meaningful work. You know what I mean? It's like 
in some sense during those courses of my life, like that's who I was, but yet I didn't get paid for it, but it was meaningful. Some of the most meaningful stuff I've done in my life, you know, and that's like one of the underlying tensions with all of this is like, it's interesting to like talk about what the definition of work is, you know, is work something you do for someone else is work something you do with an end, you know, like is gardening work or is it play? Like there are a lot of things that like blur the line between play and work that are like good things. But I think an even more important element here is like, where's the meaning? That's one of the hallmarks of this alienated moment we live in is like meaning is is stripped from our lives. And when meaning does come into our lives, it's in the shape of like ethical consumption choices, what you consume. You know, if you get a democracy now mug every year, like you've done your part <laughs> and your, your life is meaningful, you can go back to killing seals for your job or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I uh, I hate killing these seals, but I got to put a roof over my head and I get that Democracy Now mug. So it's all it's. <laughs> <laughs> I think the overlap between like meaningful work that's actually enjoyable to do, that's like can be playful in a sense, can be like something that is its own reward, like where the action itself is, if not enjoyable, like the outcome is something you believe in but i we can call that kind of stuff work and i would be totally fine with that and then be like okay we don't want to abolish work we maybe want to abolish job culture or the idea that like all necessary work in society needs to be like segmented off into specific roles and you do that role indefinitely just keep doing the thing like i don't know if either of you have ever worked in like a what do you call that a production facility or something where it's like fordist where like you just do literally one thing all day over and over again i had a job for that like three months it was a factory that produced cable trays and there were these welders and they were welding the rungs onto cable trays they're like ladder shaped things that go up in the roofs of buildings that they'd weld them and i would sand the welds so that there was wasn't a black smudge and I did that for eight hours a day and I would call in sick like three times a month maybe and I lasted like three months and there were people who had been there for like 30 years working a job like this all the time but I, I, I just couldn't do it like I could weld things and like make stuff like this if I've been able to do all the different kinds of jobs and like switch around and do things like that would be better for a while anyway because it's like a lot of these things can be enjoyable like doing something productive is enjoyable fixing things creating things making things is enjoyable but like the insulting part is there's like these tempos and these quotas you have to meet and this squeezing of every last drop of blood they can get out of you and if we want to talk about work as something that can be beneficial which i think it can in the right circumstances like doing this podcast takes work lots of stuff that people want to do is work but you don't want to do it for 40 hours a week doing like one minute aspect of it over and over again for decades of your life like no nobody wants to do that no matter what the thing is i think adam smith in the wealth of nations i don't remember the exact quote but there's an adam smith quote where he talks about that kind of like repetitive single thing for weeks and weeks at an end and adam smith one of the foundational thinkers of capitalism said be careful about doing that because it's going to drive people insane and that's bad for productivity i mean the thing about that kind of work it depends on what it's for like, I'll fucking sit there all day in sand, the welding burns, 
off of some shit if it means I'm like building artillery to defend our enclave against a fascist onslaught. Or it's like post-hurricane Bilbo Baggins and we're having to do repetitive tasks to like survive for the good of all the people around like that's much less alienated than the sort of hyper-capitalist factory you're describing you know where half of that shit probably never even got used you know they probably just got sent somewhere else and didn't sell and then there's some kid in, in some country somewhere like banging the iphone parts out of those trays now you know what i mean like that repetitive labor like i'll fucking if like we're talking utopia you know we're talking like post-revolution like i'll wash the dishes i'll fucking volunteer to go clean the sewers because in that society there's less bullshit to keep up and in that context we, we would be working less if everybody had to do their eight hours of community service that just shifted around like okay you're the asshole who has to climb all the telephone poles and change all the lights on them. like that's your job this month it's like fine i have free food free apartment capitalism has been abolished yeah you know and, and like sure i'll fucking do that and you don't have to do the same thing forever and you don't have to be the light guy the <laughs> being is one of the things that's so alienating just disgusting about the system is like you can't just change lights you have to become a light changer until you get sick of it and then you quit and you're not a light changer <laughs> anymore like it be in these roles yeah repetitive boring tasks might be something that always exists like maybe we can automate a lot of it, but there will be some of it. But then, like, the thing is, it's not like there's a certain group of people at this factory who sit in the offices all day. And there was actually, like, this big window because it was a two-story, like, the factory thing was huge. And then the offices were upstairs and there's these windows. So you could, like, see into a lot of their offices if they weren't, like, closing the windows and they could see down to you. It had a very weird panopticon-ish feel because you never know when they're, like, looking to see if you're working. But there's this super insulting thing of like, we get two 15 minute breaks and one half hour lunch, like strictly timed. There was a bell that rang. You get to go and come back and like you don't leave during the other parts because you slow everything down. It's this like assembly line shit going on. And then there's just these people and you look up and they're like sitting there doing office stuff. And like I've had jobs like that, too, where you sit around all day and you kind of got to do a few things. And like that stuff's not easy either. But like the contrast yeah it's it's just like insulting and if we were sharing these kinds of tasks where like okay everyone who can clean sewers reasonably is expected to do a little sewer cleaning and so everybody's got to do it for like two weeks a year and that's it like that i can deal with that that isn't insulting to you you're not the sewer cleaner now for 30 years you're a comrade yeah <laughs> i find it really interesting aaron that you keep on using the word insulting because that is like part of the thing that just I noticed it the first time you said it and then I noticed it when you said it again yeah. and just like the alienation of like the work environment and like the set hours and the hierarchy between boss and employee the risk of like having everything taken away the identification with the role all these things to get in the difference between the different roles and then the workplace it's a dehumanizing and insulting affront to you as an individual yeah. on every level yeah. it's saying like you're not a person like you're not here to be a person you're here to be like a piece of this machinery. It is so insulting. And I, I haven't had that exact type of 
job, although I did work on a production line for the woke soap company, Lush Cosmetics, <laughs> where I worked in their like bubble bar department for like nine months. Hey, I, I've used those bubble bars. <laughs> They're okay. They're a little sweet smelling, actually, but I'm sorry. Yeah, and if you work in that bubble department, like you just reek like that, no matter how much you oh clean God. yourself. Straight up, like... For real, there was a few times where I just like wouldn't shower for two days or three days or whatever because I just knew that I just reeked sickly sweet of positive scent. Like there was no <laughs> amount of sweating and grotesque body odor that I could ever emit that would compete with it. Because I'm just in this room with all this airborne powder, all this like little airborne powder going all over my skin, up my nose, like locking into the scent receptors of my nose permanently i can't smell into my lungs you know yeah. meanwhile making these 11 12 fucking bubble bars while i'm getting paid 12 dollars an hour but expected to produce 250 of them per hour it's like it was nice that we got to make different bubble bars you know sometimes you make the little snowman sometimes you make the little <laughs> cone sometimes you make the little <laughs> sometimes you make the little campfire you yeah, know what are you complaining about <laughs> But it was like, that was like, I think my realist capital C capitalist job that I've had, like production line, just like seeing the dissonance between what I was producing and what I was getting paid and like just how insulting it all was. Yeah. The only thing that made it bearable was like talking to the other people, making dirty jokes and stuff. And that was all right. But actually legit fuck Lush's labor practices, just putting it out there. Anytime I get low on money, I do stagehand work. And like me personally, like I, I don't know if I'd use the word insulting. Yeah, I just hated it. I'd go in there though and I would just be reminded like, God damn, you better fucking make another dope record because this is about all you're qualified for if you're not making music. And it would be like, we'd be the people they'd call in to like push out the carpets in like these giant convention centers that take up like, you know, four square miles of downtown Denver or something. And people would fucking talk to me like I was so stupid because I didn't like know how the shelves attached to like these weird you ever been to a convention they have these like weird little floating islands and there's like thousands of floating islands and each one has like specific construction things and like they'd ask you to like hang off of some fucking crane it's like there's no way this is safe yeah. You know, and I'd be like sweating my ass off, like, and like they wouldn't tell you when you would go home. At a certain point, you'd get called up, and whether you'd work eight hours or 12 or 16, they'd call you up and they'd go, Okay, you're going home now. Be back here at eight in the morning. And they would do that until the job was done. And like, you didn't have any say as to whether or not you could go in tomorrow or not. And it would, like, they wouldn't tell you. So it'd be like noon, and my wife would be like, Hey, are you gonna, when are you gonna be home? Be like, I don't know. And so, like, you know, it would be dope because you'd make, like, you know, whatever. I think most ever made, there was, like, 1500 bucks a week, which was fine. It was great. But it was horrible because the whole week was just gone. And then I just had to spend two weeks eating weed candy afterwards just to fucking... Because it was just nothing but sweating, rolling out just miles and miles of fucking carpet. No one should do that job. No one should be having these fucking bullshit-ass conventions with these artificial cities popping up for no fucking reason. No one should do that job, period. It's a horrible job. I did a sort of similar job to that for a summer once working for like an event company doing like setup and teardown for concerts. 
where it's similar where you like have all these like big like metal racks come out and they interact a certain way and you need to make bleachers this way you need to make the stage this way and i was like just like the lowest parole just like you're over here now you're over here now like you help him lift this help but the thing that really sticks out from my memory of that time was my boss had this patch that said i i w i i and he always like emphasized it he's like i i w i i it stands for it is what it is and it referred to the job <laughs> is that where that comes from you've just said that a lot like oh it is what it is like neoliberal bus driver stuff or oh whatever. maybe yeah no that's <laughs> it stuck in my head because it was like their go-to for anything related to like labor concerns unfair work conditions hours he'd be like hey look points to the patch it is what it is and it's just like, <laughs> and he's like it, basically it was like we're not going to follow labor law all the time you're not always going to get your breaks it is what it is there's the door today's episode of seriously wrong is proudly brought to you by the practice of lean staffing now lean staffing is an exciting money saving business practice it goes like this say you need 800 hours of employee time you should schedule less than you actually need now the benefits here are manyfold. number one if you're always short-staffed you can try to guilt your employees into working faster and faster because there's not enough people here and it's stressful for everyone and trust me when they're in that actual situation and you're the frazzled manager who doesn't have enough people on they'll stay a little longer they'll come in on their day off they're still human beings and so lean staffing really helps you strategically take advantage of that it also helps for things like guilting people into not using their legally mandated breaks guilting people into coming in even though they're sick or forcing employees to find someone to cover for them if they're sick that's work you don't have to do as long as you are scheduling people just underneath the legal amount of hours to be considered a full-time employee you can deny them benefits coverage even if sometimes you call them in on their days off and they end up working almost full-time anyway as long as they're technically not scheduled for it and don't usually work that much you can squeeze it out of them and not have to do those benefits now if there was always enough people on the schedule to do the work that's necessary plus a little buffer then your employees they might take their full break time completely unacceptable in a modern business environment where it's go 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 get things done so there you have it folks that's the secret of efficiency lean staffing and it's a proud sponsor of this episode of seriously wrong thank you so much to the wrong boys for letting us talk about this for giving this idea their platform and getting the word out there because bosses have it tough and this will make it just a little bit easier on them which i think is something we all want Okay, class, settle down, settle down. We're going to be continuing our history lectures. Hooray. Sorry. And I'm not supposed to talk now. Sorry. Oh, it's just, okay. I'm just excited you know, for history. Some teachers get really mad about students just talking. I find it, frankly, charming. Well, great. So obviously, when we left off last time, we had just reached industrialization. You know, wage labor and factories are being introduced. There's now this stark dichotomy being made between workers 
and bosses and the bosses want obviously the workers to work as much as possible for as long as possible for as many days as possible and the workers want as much money as they can get but they don't want to only be working so there's real conflicting interests there i like the lens of the tension between boss and worker it's interesting go on yeah i wouldn't say all history can be filtered through that lens but a lot of it and it's extremely useful and good there's even like lots of stories about things like clocks being changed during the day it was pretty common back then you know people didn't have their own watches oh that's fucked up teach yeah could you imagine if i changed the clock back and made this class twice as long and tried to pull one over on you kids well i mean especially if you have a contractual obligation to pay us for our labor time in the classroom but the workers they didn't take that lying down oh hell yeah cobblers in the first shoe factories in lynn massachusetts would stop work for games political debates read the newspaper to each other or head off to the pub. Factory superintendents complained of the general indispositions of the employees to work steady. Fuck that, man. People with a disposition to work steady are squares. That's why you're one of my best students. Amongst us Zoomers, we've got a consensus. A political priority is to shorten and then eventually abolish the workday. Well, men who built barrels, which were a major industry in the early American economy, I think agreed with you. While they were normally paid for six days of work, when they came in on Saturday morning, they would sit around on upturned barrels, playing poker and drinking beer, lounging about until they received their weekly pay when the beer drinking would continue, according to historians of the industry, late into the night on Sunday, so that when what was called, quote, Blue Monday came around, it was spent doing more or less nothing. So simply by being brashly lazy at work, these workers eked themselves out a sort of three-day weekend. That's like prefigurative weekends. If everyone just starts taking prefigurative three-day weekends until we achieve it, that would actually work. It's like a work slowdown. It's a real tactic, teacher. A work slowdown. Oh my god. That's such a valuable tactic for our lifetime. Yeah, it's like a work slowdown, but they weren't making any demands. The demands was just, we're gonna do this. What are you gonna do about it? That's dope. And yeah, this just, you know, it's all over the history. I'm focusing on American history here, but it's from all over. But, you know, immigrant workers in New York City shipyards would infuriate their bosses by taking breaks for candy, cake, trips to the saloon for whiskey, leisurely lunches. British-born workers in New Jersey pottery factories were known for great bursts of activity, but then to disappear for several days at a time. (laughs) That's sick. (laughs) That's good history. Keep it coming. I'll read you a quote from an employer of shoemakers in Massachusetts in 1878. He said, Nothing saves men from debauchery and crime so much as labor. And that kind of view was typical of bosses at the time who were just very wrapped up in this Protestant work ethic. This idea that work is inherently good for itself. Leaders of the Ohio Bureau of Labor in 1879 said, labor is not a curse. It is not the number of hours per day that a person works that breaks them down, but the hours spent in dissipation. Give men plenty to do and a long while to do it, and you will find them physically and morally better. So that's just contrary to every bit of science we know that it's just not true. Wait, did you say the Protestant work ethic is disproven by science, teacher? Oh, absolutely. The version of it that despises idleness as something inherently evil, which the idle hands are the devil's playthings, this idea is part of the Protestant work ethic is bizarre and inhuman because we all need idleness to maintain our sanity and physical health as well. 
Yeah, we need like a balance between activity and idleness. So these kind of everyday protests took place for decades, a century of industrialism before organized labor movements. But in 1866, a brand new organization called the National Labor Union asked Congress to pass a law mandating an eight-hour workday. And their efforts failed, but that was the first entry. That was narrative work. They were getting it out there. Shit gets real in 1866. So before that, it was all like sort of prefigurative, vote with your feet, taking weekends. I'm certain people were making demands of their own employers, but this was the first time that limiting the workday on a national scale as a legal framework for everyone was kind of put on the map. And the next year, the Illinois legislature actually passed a law mandating an eight-hour workday, but many employers refused to cooperate and a massive strike erupted in Chicago. So it's May 1st, 1867, and this day became known as May Day. The law was struck down and it kind of was seen as a failure, but 20 years later served as the inspiration for a second May Day event on May 1st, 1886. A national strike was called and 300,000 workers participated. There were massive riots for days and bombs were thrown at police. And this is kind of the starting point of the May Day tradition as we know it today. It was a day for workers' rights, this national strike. But still 1886, there's a lot of struggles to be told. This class is coming to an end. I'll just mention that it wasn't until 1938 when the Fair Labor Standards Act was put into place that the work week was officially limited to 40 hours. About 75 years since that first putting it on the map moment I mentioned, they finally did it. Well, teacher, I gotta say this was a mind-blowing lesson. This is why I love history. Really weird, really dope. Thank you for just another great round of teaching. And I think I speak on behalf of all the kids. Oh, yeah, I see they're all nodding. Good kids silently nodding. You know, they recently cut the budget for class sizes, so we've actually got 34 kids in this room. And for me to look back and see 33 nodding heads. Proud moment for you as a student who speaks the most. To know that I have their consent as a delegate on behalf of all the students means a lot. Oh, and uh, looking at the clock, which I haven't tampered with, it looks like the bell is about to ring. Three, two, one. That's the bell. Everyone get out your apples. Line up the 34 apples on teacher's desk to show how much we appreciate his history lesson. But as we discussed, silence, please. There we go. And here's my apple. Thank you, teacher. Yeah, it's interesting. I could hear you put down the apple, but I haven't heard any of the other students put down the apple. They, so they're piling up here, these apples. Can we all give a silent round of applause for the teacher? Look at that. They're all miming clapping, oh. but not actually making contact. Yeah, that's both silent and heartwarming. So I'm just going to do a few audible claps on behalf of us. But they'll continue silently clapping. Okay, okay, stop, stop with all the clapping. You kids go enjoy your break. When you come back, we're going to learn about how to be nice to each other online. But we dedicate about 30% of the day to at school nowadays in the future. So when we first started talking about what to talk about, I wanted to talk about Tim Ferriss. And so I guess like what I wanted to say about that was like in this whole conversation about shitty jobs and like the amount of money we make at our jobs doesn't stack up against like the needs of our life, whether it's emotional or economically or whatever. I know like Tim Ferriss is like heralded by like tech bro, douchey startup 
and he has a lot of ideas that are like pretty exploitive. But his book, The Four Hour Workweek, really made me think about labor in a lot of different ways. And I think like if yes, I think it's great as an aspirational goal to work towards like less work altogether. I think that's great. But like this whole shit is about optimizing your time, cutting out the bullshit, what I like about it anyway. Simple things like making a to-do list at the end of the day and finishing the to-do list the next day before you check your emails or social media. Like I think there's like a lot of like tangible, simple things in there. But a lot of it is based around running your own business. And while I wouldn't say it's like either or, like I know a lot of people who are like wobbly kind of labor organizer people. And like, I think that work is obviously really important. Like we need a militant mass movement capable of fighting for everything that everybody needs. But in the same sense, I think like there's also nothing wrong with people starting their own businesses, starting co-ops. When you run your own business, when you're in a co-op or a collective or like, you know, working with friends to like do some shit, it's like, you can make more money doing less because you don't have those assholes who are hanging out in that glass room getting paid to pretty much do nothing. And so much of these businesses, as y'all know, like generating all this surplus revenue, surplus capital, that's just going to feed shareholders or whatever. It's like, if we were all our own shareholders instead of, and I shouldn't say instead of, but it's like something I would just throw out there is instead of, yeah, I will say instead of, instead of trying to solely get your boss to do the right thing, fuck your boss, build your own shit. You and your homies are all woodworkers. Start a woodworking co-op, you know, start small, build it out, restaurants, and come up with new models for how these things could exist. And so that would be like my positive proposal and all this. And like, well, I think it's great to like strive for like mass movements or whatever capable of getting these things. Like we have to live today. And one way I think of doing that is to not have a boss, to be your own boss. And, and I know like for like hardcore anti-capitalists, like they're not trying to hear that shit. You know, I respect it, but owning my own labor has allowed me tremendous freedom and part of that freedom is to be like, okay, I don't make a lot of money. I'm still technically poor, but I can use some of my time to grow food, to grow herbs, to grow medicine, to make my own tea. I don't know. I just think there's other ways to like push capitalism to the fringes of our lives and like create our own alternatives, creating networks of mutual aid, etc. in addition to all these other things. And I would just put that out there as like, rather than just solely like thinking about all the things that are fucked up, there's also a lot we can do in our lives now to like increase our capacity for play and struggle and still work a little bit and exist within the world and have nice things. Yeah. Those are just the things I was like bubbling. I was like taking notes. I'm like, oh, like I don't want to like just complain about all the shitty jobs <laughs> I've had. Like I'd like to lay out some ways out. Yeah, no, I, I've actually read that book as well. And Tim Ferriss is saying, you can have freedom from this like monotonous sort of like tempo quota, humiliating obedience workplaces by being your own boss, making your own business, automating a lot of it, creating passive income. And then like you can create for yourself this like modicum of freedom within the society as it currently exists. And like, 
it's actually like a really like human impulse on his part. Like he found a way to do this and he wants to share it with other people. And like he's not challenging the structures that are making it so that the bad version of work and jobs is the default for most people. And like to get out of it, you have to like be this, you know, entrepreneur or whatever. Like, because I think like the way leftists think about things a lot of the time and like it's important to think about things this way is like we want to change systems and we want to make the systems work in a way so that this isn't an issue for anyone anymore and then there's this sort of like rejection of like i guess game playing within the system for to some extent your own benefit but if you do it with the sort of mindset that you're talking about of like wanting to create cooperatives wanting to create space in society away from this sort of default capitalist mode of doing things because if you're making your own business whether it's you and a couple of your friends or it's just you like you can decide what the culture is within this co-op that you're doing and you can create these little bubbles of something better and it's like no that doesn't solve it for everyone but it's not nothing and it gives you like a foundation to be able to do other things that might help shift those systems in ways like you're talking about how uh, your income from music allowed you to spend a lot of time doing activism and organizing and that's super benefit like that's exactly the right (laughs) kind of thing that you'd want people who have that kind of spare time who've managed to eke this exception to the the rule of like sort of needing these hyper individualized capitalist jobs to do you want people to be using that time to do productive things to help try and make those more systemic changes so that it's not this thing where only some people can do those things because they have the free time or the ability or the impulse to do it, I guess, and make it so that it's more the default setting. But like, I I guess I'm just saying, like, I think people frame these things as like opposed to each other sometimes, or that it's like bad for you to try and do those kinds of things for yourself, but they're actually complementary. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a complementarity there. Because like, even if you're talking about the desire to create a fundamentally different society, like have a break from capitalism and build a perfect utopia, you know, forever, 10,000 years of world peace, the abolition of patriarchy, capitalism, and so on, commune of communes, you name it, the whole nine yards, turn the oceans to lemonade. Even if you want that, like it takes space it takes the realm of freedom to be able to do that so like to advocate for a worker cooperative where workers own their own labor they own their own production within the system is sometimes i think disproportionately and i think there's fair criticisms to make but it's the difference between criticizing something and then criticizing something and writing it off because i think it's fair to criticize it and say well that's not enough and that's true it's not enough it's necessary but it's not sufficient but by freeing up that extra time like we don't have very many choices under capitalism for how we support ourselves and how we give ourselves free time and if you reject like the idea of like oh if you're making your own business well then you're just sort of like becoming this like little capitalist and like it's actually wrong and evil and insufficient to do that it's like well what's the alternative you're going to go work for instead where's your money going to come from who's going to pay your rent are you going to live with your parents are you going to live off of inheritance is living off of inheritance 
so much more pure and leftist than running your own business? I don't think so. Like we have very, very limited options within the sort of like realm of necessity here of like what is going to pay our bills. And within that spectrum, I think the closer you get towards like democratically owned, more communal, worker controlled organizations that prefigure and exist within the system, that's about as good as you can get within the system. And we should definitely like strive towards that. And especially if it's possible to have part of that be like freeing up more free time for yourself, for play, for leisure, to spend time with your family, to spend time with your friends and spend time with people to make social connections and help move political discourse or organize for a better future, organize to do things that are effective interventions within systems that dehumanize and insult us, then absolutely. Like what other option is there? Well, I mean, I look at like the organizing that's been done in like Burgerville in the Pacific Northwest, where like people are doing an amazing work organizing, going on strikes, like linking up with other labor unions. And we've seen these fight for 15 struggles. I mean, obviously, by the time $15 minimum wage gets set, the cost of living is going to be $25 an hour. So like, that's why I, you know, I just put it out there as like part of a prefigurative thing is like, Let's think about owning our own labor. Because I just know when I first started coming around anarchists about 10 years ago, I'd always just feel guilty or something. Like, oh, i got to go home and mail out CDs that someone bought. I'm selling something. You know, and all my homies are like washing dishes or working at corporations or something. I guess that is what I'm saying. These two things, it's, it's not one or the other. You want to fight, you want to work at a job and fight for better working conditions for all workers or for the people you work with and fight there. That's great. That's awesome. We need that. We also need alternatives. We need it all. Because here's the thing. It's like I had all these jobs where I was like, oh, this is the best job I've ever had. I love it here. And then like they restructure. And then all of a sudden my job is obsolete. I have to go find a new one. I have to completely reimagine my life. And like my first three jobs were all like corporate restructuring and people getting laid off and jobs getting outsourced. And like that's what it means to work now. So quit your fucking job. Actually, fuck having a boss. That's how I feel. Like, yeah. <laughs> No, fuck a boss. Is it really eight already? I haven't had dinner. Oh, there's just three more things. Three more things. I could ask Tom to file this, but he's going to fuck it up. If you want it done right, do it yourself. Getting a bit hungry. But this unpaid overtime, I signed up for it by staying. It's all good. I don't even need overtime. Work is its own reward to just see all this filing done correctly. Couldn't trust Tom to Open it. up, authoritarian leisure goons. I'll get the door as soon as I finish this email. Open uh, up. Mm, mm, mm. So many emails these days. Emails, emails. Hey, sir, I'm going to need you to step away from the computer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do we... I see what, your mouse uh, moving to send. Don't click that. I've got like two more and then I'm totally in for this conversation fully about you breaking into my office. I just... I'll just unplug this computer. Oh my God, I had unsaved documents open. It's okay. Someone else is going to have to take care of those, sir. We're going to need you to pack your bags. You are going on vacation. Legally mandated. Are you legally mandated to restore my unsaved documents? No. Why are you allowed to arrest me and then send me on vacation? First of all, we're not arresting you. It's just a non-lethal detainment. And you're not police? No, we are authoritarian leisure goons. You're working way too hard and you need to go on a vacation. I'm doing fine. When's the last time you got a full night's sleep? Eight hours, uninterrupted. That's kind of a personal question to ask someone in their workplace. 
I pretty much get no sleep. It's really a sign of my dedication. Yeah, we need to get you on a beach, margarita in hand, oh, no, no cell phone. Please, no. Is the margarita caffeinated? No. I'm not going to challenge that you're authoritarian leisure goon. You have the right to non-lethally detain me. Send yeah, it's me all in the law. Vacation. Just check the law. I remember that law, come to think of it. All right, great. So let's get your bags packed and let's get no, you No, no, no. I want to make a philosophical point, okay? Are you allowed to do that at work or are you just a mindless automaton here? As an authoritarian leisure goon? Yeah, I mean, if, Does you're, that run contrary if you're... to your role? I don't have to do anything I don't want to do, but I find this work valuable. It is tiring work. Some people, you have to literally wrestle them onto the plane. But it is just so rewarding when you come back to the airport two weeks later, you pick them up, they've been on the beach, people just look rested and they say, I had so many great experiences, I reconnected with my loved ones who I've been ignoring because of all my work, I remembered that I like to read for fun. I get that one a lot, people just remembering that they like to read for fun. Sometimes people literally collapse down at my feet, thanking me for forcing them to go on vacation because they realized they actually hated their job and they just hadn't even taken a moment to think about it. They end up quitting, taking a completely different life path and finding something that brings them meaning. But that's my point is, okay, I will submit to my vacation. I'm just asking if I may please bring a bunch of work with me. That's how I like to relax. Like, that's who I am. Philosophically, like, you're taking me away from my leisure. Like, this is my leisure. Like My goal for your vacation is for you to have 24 full hours where you don't think about this job once. It doesn't cross your mind. Imagine all the space that you could have for all kinds of thoughts. I could sooner imagine dying of a heart attack at my desk, surrounded by unfinished work. Okay, so here's your plane ticket. Thank you. That's right. You're going to the lush, beautiful Mediterranean paradise of Iraq. Oh, the cradle of civilization? Absolutely. The first batteries Yeah, and one of the safest travel destinations on the planet, as you probably know, since that's so normal to us in our universe. In our universe, we haven't seen an unaccountable, borderless, global war on a tactic waged under false pretenses that causes the erosion of all civil liberties of everyone on Earth, regardless of their nationality. Yeah, and that thing that's not happening definitely didn't use a war in Iraq as an early flashpoint in the escalation of that. It's all things that didn't happen. Before I go to scenic vacation-ready Iraq, I just remembered that I forgot to put staples back into the stapler, which is almost out. So I'm just going to go over and no, do sir, that. No, I can't allow you to do that. You're on vacation already. Uh, just, there will be no more work. What so if we're someone, just what if someone comes in tomorrow and uses 16 staples? You know what? You're right. You're right. I know. I don't need to refill this stapler right now on a Friday night. I got free tickets to a vacation paradise. What am I doing? What's become of me? All this overwork has got me so stressed out, I'm just a shell of a human moving from task to task on behalf of others. Just a skeleton held together by false notions of virtue that is slowly killing me. Yeah, that's the reflection setting in. We do see this a lot in people. The minute I get someone to stop And now, at the end of the day, like, you're just going to get robots for everything. My question is, like, are, are you, I mean, this is a contrarian question, but it's like, are you just fighting to, you know, be the one last asshole in the glass box overlooking all the machines? Like, there's no, I mean, that's the other thing we didn't even talk about during this conversation is, like, automation and the impact that, like, aside from, like, digital technologies making things more productive, automation 
is going to render so many jobs obsolete. And actually, that was something I wanted to talk about. Arthur C. Clarke, when promoting 2001 A Space Odyssey, the movie, he said, the goal of the future is full unemployment, so we have time to play. I think we're faced with a choice about the future here. Do we want good unemployment or do we want bad unemployment? Good unemployment is basically utopian. It's basically a dream come true, which is more free time to do what you want, to self-actualize, to do the things that need to be done, to make connections in communities, to organize public life and political life being an increasing part of our lives, that we're able to actually have a say in the things that affect us in the world and have democratic participation on levels that we've never seen. But there's also bad unemployment. And bad unemployment is when you don't have enough money to live. You know, being underemployed isn't like, oh, I need more work hours. It's I need more fucking money. Being underemployed is being underwaged. That's the only problem. So being fully employed and being underwaged is the exact same problem of being underemployed and being underwaged. The problem is not having enough wages. And that's the heart of bad unemployment. Bad unemployment is when you don't have enough money to fucking live. Good unemployment is when you do have enough money to live, but you get to work less. And the way that we're going to be able to achieve good unemployment is going to be through political struggle, political actions, organizing, and hard work. We can't just imagine that, oh, well, automation is this automatic thing that just is going to happen. Like We're being faced with this neutral marching force of automation that's going to slowly automate our lives, and it's inevitable. We have to acknowledge and talk about how there's choices being made within what is automated. What are the priorities for automation, and who are those priorities serving? Well, capitalism is never going to give us a fully automated luxury society where everyone is taken care of. They're going to cut wages to workers, replace us with robots in any place they can, while trying to ensure that there's still enough consumers to buy the products in the end so the whole system doesn't fall apart. But we can demand that automation works for everyone. We can expect nothing less than automation working for everyone. Capitalism is going to do this very narrow type of automation that serves bosses at the expense of workers and generates bad unemployment. We need to address the issue of work ethic and what it means and create a new common sense so people can actually comprehend what's going on enough to fight for the good unemployment that we need. Full unemployment is the dream. Everyone should be able to not work and still have the wages they need to survive. So we need mass scale investment in the types of automation that will liberate people. And I just, I want to draw that distinction and that fork in the road that we have, that we can think of automation as this inevitable wave that's just going to slowly wash over us and hit us. And we just hope the benevolent technocrats give us some of the scraps. But the reality is the people at the top are the ones who are going to benefit from the automation that we're facing. And the only way that we can distribute the goods, make sure that the bag that is generated through automation and through this increased productivity is distributed to everyone and not just the people at the top is through political action, political discourse, and making sure that people know you can expect nothing less. We should expect nothing less than automation that works for all, a fully automated luxury society that actually takes care of people. That's the fork in the road. Capitalism is never going to bring us the good place. And we need to fight and push for the good place. You know, it's funny. As you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, this guy, Ian Banks. Yeah. He wrote the Culture Series. And I never really thought about post-scarcity anarchism as being a practical thing. For listeners who don't know what post-scarcity anarchism is, it's one of Murray Bookchin's very popular books, which I've never read, but I have a grasp on a lot of the ideas. And like just like seeing the way their society was in the book 
where like everything is automated. You know, they're mining water from meteors and it makes sense. It makes sense that we could live without a coercive government or state or capitalism. The only thing I would say is that I don't trust none of that shit. I don't trust the state. I don't trust the capitalists. And I don't know if I even have a lot of faith in humankind's ability to rise up at the scale and pace that we need to fight what's coming. And so for me, I'm definitely more like someone who believes in like creating our own systems of mutual aid, creating our own alternatives, creating our own capacities, getting away from bosses. I guess I'm more of like a doomsday prepper in that regard that like I just see everything collapsing around me and I wouldn't put all my eggs in the basket of we're going to make it there. That's not the arc of history I'm seeing. I'm seeing an arc of history where what the state does is pretty bad and what corporations continue to do with rising sea levels and all the global warming hell we're facing. <laughs> Again, all the more reason to like rethink about our lives. Like the world is ending, shit's hitting the fan. We are the shit. The fan is all around us. Let's live our life today because there might not even be a world in 40 years. So, yeah, I'm sympathetic to that sort of way of thinking about like building the counter institutions, I think is necessary no matter what sort of course that we're taking because the future's so uncertain. So, like, even if like my tendency within this is like I push for participation, I don't trust politicians for shit. And that's why I want to push them. You know, that's why I want to push these organizations to take different actions and even try to get our people on the inside of those things. I see that as valuable. Hey, I do too, just for the record. I don't want to like make it seem like I'm totally disagreeing by any means. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I don't want to seem like I'm either because I think what you're talking about is really, really important because we have this risk of we're facing a climate Russian roulette, right? And like we have got a maybe a one in six chance of just being annihilated no matter what we do. <laughs> it sounds so horrible. But like we're rolling dice right now. Like we don't we don't know what the future is going to be. And in the event of collapse, in the event of disruptive, deep collapse in ways that we can't imagine, we're going to need those mutual aid organizations and we're going to need our own community bodies and relationships and connections with each other and trust. And, you know, like one of the things that capitalism does in addition to alienating us from our work is deprive us of trust in one another and deprive communities of the structure that they've had for generations. We need to build that trust and capacity to support each other in the event of unthinkable crisis. But I see that a very complementary thing. And like the, these orgs that we can use to defend ourselves in the event of unthinkable crisis are the same orgs and the same relationships that we need to have to interface with these systems. So I see it as like, often they're placed really in conflict with each other, but I see them as part of like an over, a strategy where we have like an ecology of fronts, an ecology of tactics that have a complementarity between them that work towards shared ends and prepare us for any contingency. Does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense because we can't create enclaves of privilege that detach themselves from what's happening in the world and in the working class. You know, if we believe in revolutionary, anarchistic, communistic ideas of how, you know, we should live without alienation and leaders and capitalism or whatever, the only way that that's really possible on a mass scale, whether or not the world ends, is if we're always engaged in struggle and always participating in events. And these ideas are not seen as like foreign, you know, they're like, no way, we fought for 15 together. You know, we, we've been seeing people hacking away at the role that labor plays in our economy or people hacking away at the idea of capitalism. And so like, 
now it's almost gone. Like, let's be through with it. As opposed to like, if I were to go knock on all my neighbors' houses right now and ask them like, hey, y'all ready to fucking declare autonomy? Like, <laughs> I just moved here six months ago. I've been looking at Rojava. Like, I think we can do that here in this little college town. Like, I know half of y'all are war veterans from the Navy and maybe some of y'all voted for Trump, but come on, let's just have a revolution. It's not going to work that way. We have to be out there. The idea of going to your neighbors to ask, like, are y'all ready to declare autonomy? Obviously, it's a bit of a utopian fantasy that, that would work out immediately. But I think there's something really interesting there. There's like sort of a seed there that's actually worth trying too, especially if you're the type of person who's outgoing and social about your politics. It's worth trying talking to your neighbors and seeing where they're at. Because I think like that's one of the foundational sort of building blocks of organizing is those face-to-face conversations with people. And there's few people in the world that you're as close to as like coworkers is one. And there's the obvious like organizing your workers against your boss is one way to organize. But another is organizing your community and the people who are around you. And I think people would be surprised at how much anti-capitalist sentiment, anti-hierarchy sentiment, there's actually decent values floating around the general public. We've been convinced and we've been conditioned to think so many things are impossible that we're all sort of hopeless, but we're all sort of in agreement that work sucks. Like if you went up and down your street, both directions, talked to every single neighbor and did just a straw poll on what people's opinion of work is, generally speaking, you'd find a pretty clear trend towards, I fucking hate work. It doesn't pay me enough. It's too hard. It sucks. I have to structure my life around it. There's also a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, from work brings freedom, you know, (laughs) which was on the fucking gate at Auschwitz. Nah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And there's also, there's a pernicious problem of negative solidarity, right? Where people, instead of saying, what I want for myself, I want for everyone, which is a good, nice, socialist, anarchist value, egalitarian. Sometimes people say the opposite. Why aren't you suffering as much as me? And this is a huge problem that people have in union organizing right now, is that there's no sense of solidarity. There's no sense of, oh, we can win these fights together. It takes this narrative work, these conversations, to bring that out of people. It's there in a latent sense, but also people have this sense of, like, you have to suffer as much as I do. Other people aren't suffering as much as I do, and that sucks. And that's like the whole Trump, like anti-immigrant stuff is like people have it tough right now. Like people in the U.S. have it fucking tough. There's no health care. There's no fucking guaranteed benefits. There's no guaranteed jobs. It's a brutal situation for a lot of people. And then they turn and they blame the other for it, like immigrants, refugees and stuff through this lens of their line jumpers. Why don't you suffer as much as me? So we need to invert that. Like we need a new common sense. And I think that starts through conversation and part of that also is just talking to our neighbors and i think going up to your neighbors and saying hey y'all ready to declare autonomy (laughs) it's it's worth a shot (laughs) hey i'm down it's just you gotta get to know these people first yeah yeah it's an interesting introduction to be like hey nice to meet you are you ready to declare autonomy against the u.s government (laughs) the largest military organization that's ever existed i mean i don't know it's like i'm in maine now and so it's like maine has like this weird liberal slash libertarian bent to it I drove from Maine to Montreal and I drove like right through the middle of Maine and I drove for maybe five hours in Maine. I didn't see one cop car or one Trump sign. And so I was like, where am I right now? I didn't see one Confederate flag, no swastikas, like nothing. I was like, maybe uh, there's a little hope for this place. (laughs) I love going down the street and seeing no swastikas. It gives you a little faith in humanity. Uh, Yeah, it's 2019. You know, you take what you can get. I sure felt free in Canada, though. God, what a nice little country y'all got there. 
I can't wait till we invade. Take it from you. Yeah, then we can all live together. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, we'll all be one big country. When you say we invade, do you mean the area that's declared autonomy with you and all your neighbors are going to invade? Because I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll be it right there. We, we declare liberation. and uh, No, it's just something I always think about. I'm always looking at these global warming maps and just thinking like, man, Siberia and Canada, like that's some real estate right there. Like I wonder what... <laughs> I mean, I think people just assume Canada and the United States will just become one government when the world ends, but I don't know. Y'all might not have to. We might be so impoverished and sickly that we can't even drive our drones anymore. My my wrist muscles are too weak to use the joystick. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can invade Canada today. <laughs> our crops failed 10 years in a row. We've got no protein left in this country. <laughs> you've reached the overwork hotline my name's kyle is work becoming too much for you i guess yeah let me guess a loved one told you to call us yeah he's standing right here beside me making sure that i'm on the phone and he thinks you're working too much he does you know that this overwork hotline thing that we're doing is a real thing in japan that they started doing in 1998 it's not just a comedy sketch thing this is real yeah the phenomenon of kuroshi which translates the overwork death was so prominent in japan in the 1980s that they introduced an overwork hotline to get family members to persuade other people to consider you know working less because there was this epidemic of people dying from work people actually dying yeah like heart attacks stroke stress there's all these anecdotes if you look up overwork death like woman she worked 159 hours of overtime in a month that she'd like died at her desk there's also the secondary stuff of like suicide the amount of stress that comes with like working too much can just be really really bad for you in china there's an analogous concept called guoleosi and actually in south korea guarosa is their favorite word and it does happen to some degree in, in North America, but not to the same level, I guess. Yeah, but I'm working for such a good cause. I'm trying to bring about utopia, fighting for a better future. That deserves round-the-clock attention. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It sounds like you have a beautiful dream, but you're not doing yourself any favors by working around the clock, not taking breaks, not taking rest and relaxation, you know, just really taking care of yourself. You're functioning at a lower capacity than you would if you gave yourself time to recharge. And that's not just speculation. Like, that's something that we know from repeated experience from people who go through these sort of, like, burnout phases. And your body has hard limits, man. It's good to try to change the world, but it's also good to make sure that you don't work yourself to death, literally. I do uphold the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, of which Article 24, as I'm sure you probably know, is that everybody has the right to rest and leisure, including reasonable limitations of working hours and periodic holidays with pay. That's part of what I'm fighting for but i'm not taking that for myself yeah i mean gotta have unity between means and ends man if you want to bring about a utopian society where people are freed from the burden of work to work yourself to death is contrary to that but how can i take breaks when others don't yet have legally mandated breaks i agree there is such a thing as too much vacation to take with so much injustice in the world as it currently stands that seems true to me and most certainly a high priority is to increase vacation and leisure time around the world. Leisure time is when you're a citizen and not a worker, where you can participate in political society. It's, it's crucially, crucially important. So yeah, it's a bit of a conundrum there, but I think you have to like not kill yourself as a first order priority. 
And then after that, definitely strive to universalize extending paid vacation time akin to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as ratified by the United Nations, a still operating body. What about you? Are you how often do you work? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk. Let's just say it's easier said than done. I just need to make sure it's done right and like the people are taken care of. And how long just, have you been working? What hour are you on for the day? Sort of a personal question to ask an overworked line operator. Sort of between me and my boss, don't you think? Okay, I'll admit it. I'm on hour nine and I plan to keep going. I've been helping a lot of people today. Feels great. Yeah, and you helped me. But maybe if you hadn't been here, someone else would have answered the call and helped me. Maybe they wouldn't have done it as well. Maybe they would have done it better because they'd be fresh, not nine hours in. (sighs) Damn. Do you mind if I put you on hold for a second? Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds great. And now just dial the overwork hotline number. Perfect. (sighs) I can't believe it's come to this. You've reached the overwork hotline. Has work become too much for you? Yeah, I think work has become too much. I'm just not balancing work and life. My health is deteriorating. I'm just like eating out all the time and just so stressed out. (sighs) Someone told me I should call the line. Yeah, that's usually how it works. Someone who cares about you will say, hey, it's time. You've been doing too much. Actually, this guy, well, he did care about me. You're right. Hey. I think I recognize your voice. Is that Alex? Alex? Yeah, yeah, it's me. It's me. <laughs> it's Caleb. Hey, hey, I'm gonna. I'm waving at you. I'm just over. Oh yeah, I see hey. it. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh man, yeah. See you at lunch. So, weren't you on the night shift? You should probably be off by now. Yeah, that's why I'm calling. Oh man, got you working a double. That's a, so ironic. Yeah, I guess it's sort of become a thing for me. Working, working, working at the overwork hotline. You know what? Fingers to the bone, helping people kick their work addiction. I'll take you out for lunch. How does that sound? We can talk about it. We'll talk all about. I know what I think that's a good note to end the sketch on, friend. Yeah, so we'll go to lunch and then everyone else will go back to to the the show. show. Yeah. Hey, did you know that the Seriously Wrong podcast is actually brought to you by viewers like you? Viewers like me? Yeah, viewers a lot like you. Viewers. I guess listeners, more accurately. But like me. So you're saying I support this podcast. I give money to the podcast. No, 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 no. You currently don't. But uh, people like you do. Oh, yeah. Like me. Hundreds of them. Don't you want to be like them in a way? Yeah, those sound like absolute angels. How did they do it? Well, they're beautiful geniuses and angels. And they do it by logging on to patreon.com slash seriously wrong. And they chip in usually $6 a month with give them access to bonus episodes. Some people choose to give $20 a month as well. Oh my god. I would think giving is its own reward. Giving is its own reward, but that doesn't stop the generous, generous... <laughs> that doesn't stop the generous wrong voice from giving you access to a private Facebook group, Discord server, and the entire archive, including their ongoing Revolution series, which includes a really great two-part episode on the French Revolution. Is there any other ways I can support the show? Maybe like a product I could have to keep forever? Oh, if you're asking if those podcasters have branched out from podcasting into also the sale of t-shirts, the answer is yes. They have a web store on their website where you can buy shirts for more than the cost of producing them, creating a profit. Oh, that's perfect. That means they'll make money when I buy the shirt and they can use that money to keep funding the show and making it better. That's amazing. Wow, I'm going to buy a hundred shirts. Well, to you, on behalf of everyone that listens to the show, thank you. You make it happen. This is the proudest day of my life. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we, we bring her down?
Yeah, I mean, for me, like, one of the first times I heard, I mean, other than, like, Marx's alienation theory, Guy Debord, or Guy Debord, as people who speak English and don't know how these things are pronounced, uh, was one of the first people, I think, to really write about work this way and, like, attacking the idea of work, at least that caught on to me. And for people who are interested in learning more about that, I'd say to check out the work of Guy Debord and the situationists in general. And I got some quotes, and, like, the quote that stuck out to me of the small number of things which I have liked and done well, drinking is by far the thing I have done best. Although I have read a lot, I have drunk more. I have written much less than most people who write, but I have drunk more than the majority of the people who drink. (laughs) And granted, like he had gout and like, you know, he had like some health problems because of how much he drank. But like, I think there's just something to be said for that. You know, this guy was a revolutionary. He was one of the great writers involved in all these sorts of struggles. He could have written more books. He could have become a professor or whatever, but he chose to drink. That was his thing. He was going to drink more than most drunks. And one person's alcohol could be someone else's uh, whatever it is. But yeah, fuck work. Shout out to Guy All right, all you workaholics out there listening. You saw the title, Listen Workaholic. You said, hey, I'm a workaholic. I'll listen. And here you are. Thanks for uh, sticking with us this whole time. But think about it, man. Do you know what the effect of stress is on your body? Do you know what you could do to just liberate yourself a little bit? Give yourself a little free time? Check those notifications one last time? Drop the side gig? Whatever. What do you actually need? And how much are you wasting to keep up this lifestyle of, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I'm busy right now. Just people really getting off on, I'm so busy. Don't do that. You know what the effects of stress are on your body? Prolonged stress ages your brain. You won't have a beautiful young brain if you stress yourself out all the time and get burned out. Stress is hard on your heart and blood vessels. Burnout increases the risk of cardiovascular disease. Regular symptoms of stress include heartburn, vomiting, upset stomach, indigestion. Your body tells you, no, stop. I don't want to work this much. It sends you every signal it can. No, over and over again, different signals. Stop, please. Don't work so much. Stop grinding. Stop being so busy. I'm going to make you vomit if you don't stop working. I'm going to make you call in sick three times in a month if you don't stop drinking. Drinking. If you don't stop working. (laughs) (laughs) Your body sends you signals. Your body says, no, please, please stop. And if you're anything like me, you take those signals on and you say, I'm bigger than these signals. I'm bigger than my body. I'm going to burn myself out to fucking death. Don't do it. Take some time for yourself. Relax. Lie in bed all day. For real. Like really just lie in bed all day. Just really soak it up. Go to the beach. Do anything except work. What makes you valuable is not just your productivity. It's the fact that you're a human being and that you have dignity and you deserve to not be insulted by this dehumanizing system. So please listen, workaholic. Colin Sick, at least. <laughs> Colin Sick till you get fired. Then collect unemployment. Oh, hell yeah. You heard it here. Don't wait till you're sick to call in sick. Take the day, man. Go to the beach. And on the real, like, check your unemployment benefits. Maybe you don't have to work so much. Like, I know people who've done awesome shit just being unemployed, collecting them unemployment benefits in the States. There to be used. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show this week with us, Tim. It's a really, really good conversation. And yeah, fuck bosses. Yeah, fuck work, fuck bosses. And of course, fuck the police. Always got to include D, all of the above. (laughs) So if you want to hear more from Tim, you can check out his podcast, The Soul Cast. 
And you can also check out his music, which is released under the name Soul. And what was your website? S-O-L-E-O-N-E dot O-R-G. But, you know, all my shit's on Bandcamp and Spotify. Oh, and if you're listening to this on Soul's feed, you can listen to more of our podcasts at seriouslywrong.com. S-R-S-L-Y. Yeah. Seriously Wrong. Yo, thanks for having me on. Thanks for reaching out and getting it popping. It was fun. It's fun to think about work. It was a good... Uh, Good time for me to do some work with y'all. You know, I found it nothing short of play. Yeah, yeah, grinding. You know what I mean? Yeah, we were grinding real hard. It felt good to just be like grinding. Like I know we're know. wrapping down, but something just struck me with the word grinding. Like if you know what a grinder does, it actually like takes something and like removes part. Like you're wasting it away. You're turning it to dust and scattering it. Like people use this as like, oh, I'm grinding so hard and it's like a good thing. Uh, but they're just literally saying, I'm destroying myself. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I'm picturing like an engine with all those little whirly gigs and gears and shit. We're grinding on each other, grinding under dust. The car wouldn't run. From work brings freedom. Yeah, I feel free. If you, <laughs> I need to stop quoting the gates of Auschwitz, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> right, right. It is fucked up. The gates of fucking Auschwitz say from work comes freedom, you know? That is fucked up. Is that a saying from anything else? I mean, maybe, yeah. Let me see. I'll Google it and see. I mean, is that where you're getting this from? Is like that you remember that being on the gates? Yeah, Arbeit macht free. It's a German phrase meaning work sets you free. It's most famous for being on the the gates of Auschwitz, but it might be an existing German oh, yeah, the, phrase. The expression comes from the title of an 1873 novel in which crooks and low lives are turned into decent people through hard work. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucked. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, hey, much love, y'all. Have a great day. Don't work so hard. Next time on Seriously Wrong, Aaron is elected vacation president. Thank you. Thank you for electing me. I never would have seen myself running for president until they changed the whole job description from like, make decisions all the time. You got to do this. You got to do that. This sounds like a nightmare. Two, four years of vacation. I've always wanted four years of vacation. It's been my dream since I was a small child. I think that since we restructured to line up the incentives that being the president is a desirable job, the contest for describing the path that we should all take together democratically without the president while he or she is on vacation. Right, the president lays down the vision, everybody else gets to work. Everyone else picks the vision and gets to work while the philosophical genius enjoys their four-year prize of ultimate leisure, which they deserve for winning the support of the masses. Oh, thank you. Thank your you. bones are going to be staying inside your body because you're not going to be working yourself to the bone at all. You're going to have time to think, prepare your next vision. going to sit by the pool, going to read, maybe go camping. Who knows? Maybe I'll try hang gliding. Probably not, but who knows? I have to say, on behalf of all of us, all of the many of us in this room right now, that you deserve it, sir. Congratulations, Mr. Vacation President. Yes, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you all for clapping silently. It really is easy on the ears, letting the one designated speaker respond. Sean, 
longtime podcast partner. I shall be the voice between you and the masses, President. All the information will be filtered through me, won't it? Yeah. I may make a blog post or whatever. Cool, cool. Yeah, whatever. You're the president. I'm just the lowly chief of staff. You're the one who's in charge. Each pop an earbud out from this podcast listener we were sharing. We had one set of earbuds. It's always fun to listen to a podcast with a friend. Yeah, did that talk chief about... of staff guy sound evil to you? Yeah, I think so. There was sort of a nefarious implication there. Maybe they were foreshadowing, mm. but it might have just been sort of avant-garde nonsense humor. So who knows? Not me. And I gotta say, I love not knowing. The state of not knowing is so anticipatory. I'm spiced up by this not knowing. You seem spiced if i may say you know normally i would slap you but i'm so spiced i'm gonna let this one go now you're starting to seem evil what is this i'm not evil i'm a normal guy <laughs> just a good friend helping his friends talking to sharing his friends earbuds, sharing yeah. earbuds yeah nothing weirder <laughs> i'm gonna take these earbuds out as a second nested earbud bit absolutely we each had our own set this time earbud splitter mm-hmm. one we, player but yeah splitter i think it's about humankind's capacity for evil i don't know what it has to do with the main episode you know i don't know but if it was about humans capacity for evil that's important that we all recognize and think about that capacity that we each have that capacity so that we can recognize it in ourselves if it ever comes up and make the choice not to act on that capacity you know, because some people think, oh, don't focus on that or whatever, but it's good. It's good to not shy away. And I'll just pop out that tape. That's a recording of you and me mm-hmm. listening to an episode of Seriously Wrong here together one year ago today. And uh, what a year it's been. And what an anniversary party this is. You know what? I think I knew that day. I think I knew that day. Just as I know today, you're the one for me. Yeah. Adrian. Right. Oh, you going to say? No, you go ahead. Adrian. Will you marry me? Oh, I can't believe I almost talked over you when you were going to ask me that. I took it. But, I mean, um, drumroll. <laughs> 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 huh? Huh? <laughs> Glad I brought this tiny drum. <laughs> Put it Pop out the tape. And pop that tape out and whoa, whoa, hey, don't you want to hear what happens when they get married yeah no nah, who cares nothing to do with no the no no man anyway, let's so. just put it here let me i'm just gonna put it back in i'm just gonna put pop in the tape i guess same tape i just popped it out but it's an interesting little story it's, it's better not, not to know is all i'm saying it's no, better it's, not to know i never I, finish anything i think that people like closure to stories that's just me so i'm gonna hit play yes i'll marry you Oh, that was so nice, so beautiful. Oh, so I hope having, it's not rice there. Just, oh my god, all the family's here. All the family, all the friends. It's the biggest party. It's all about us. Oh my god. Honestly, can't wait to get into this limo and drive on. Just the two of us for a minute. It's so wild you know, today. I got some ethical, sort of philosophical questions about the whole notion of marriage. I think it's, uh, now that I'm experiencing it firsthand and going through it, it's like I've got a new critique. My critique of marriage has been informed by this whole process of planning. Uh, you know what that kind of philosophical musing reminds me of? That podcast we used to listen to. Do you remember the one year anniversary oh, where oh, you proposed? Oh, 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 yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That podcast. It's been so, so long. long yeah. yeah, I haven't thought of that podcast in years. Whatever happened to... Uh, oh, the hosts obliterated along with the entire west coast of North America and the, the nukes, obviously. Oh, yeah, the nuclear holocaust that rained down in our lifetime. Who could forget? Yeah, you try to forget. Mm-hmm. Sometimes but... stay up all night trying to forget. 
Turn down the uh, digital audio here. Yeah, we were listening to that on speakers. That's the digital audio file of our wedding, talking about philosophy, politics, current events. We used to have a lot more time for stuff like that back then. What do you say? Yeah, sorry, I guess I should be more direct. I think these implying statements. Yeah, that implying statement makes me feel really defensive, like you're plotting against me. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, like trying, to plot, I'm trying to test. plot not go, against to... you, but in favor of you. But I shouldn't be plotting at all. I should be directly communicating. I think that you're working too much and it's cutting into our together time, our philosophical discussion time. Our time listening to old recordings of us. Yeah, or just having the times that will become the new recordings that we'll maybe never listen to because we'll be dead when we're old. Oh yeah, I guess we're mortal. That's a good point. I think you need to call the overwork hotline. They're professionals. They deal with this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, better call the hotline now before you call the authoritarian leisure goons on me. The United Nations really takes number 24 super seriously. Oh yeah, article 24 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? Yeah, I'll call the line. Um, what was the number? Uh, whoops, misstyled. I have to start over here. Fifteen digits, just like usual. That's normal to me. Hi there, overwork hotline. My work's become too much for me. What should I do? Dear caller, under capitalism, sometimes there isn't that much you can do. Work gets to all of us, and it should get to us. The way it's set up right now is just plain wrong. But what I like to encourage my callers to do is to try to look at what's important to you in your life, and is the work that you're doing helping you get to that? And if not, what else can you do? And sometimes they have a bit of trouble figuring that out, and so then I say, take a nap, take a break. Call in sick. It'll help you clear your mind. Wow. Thank you so much. You changed my life. I'm I'm going to go, go straight up go to sleep immediately in the next 10 minutes. Thank you. Uh, pop the tape out. It's the last tape. Yeah, this is the last bit. Yeah. Over. May all of you be well. I mean, I mean it, you know. Take care of yourself. From the wrong boys to you. Yeah, death comes for us all, but between now and then, take care of yourself. Always like to mention death. Isn't there something you could be doing less? Or more. Oh, like vacation? Yeah. Do you want to keep recording or stop recording? I want to stop recording. <laughs> <laughs>